and welcome to episode 5 of Golgality. In today's episode, let's talk about research. To be honest with you, I was never enthusiastic about it, but I knew that doing research work was an expectation for a university teacher. I was under pressure to start a PhD program as well. I felt really confused about how to incorporate that into my work. I used to think of language learning and teaching as something not purely academic, but rather something that is stored for practical purposes or at least aesthetic reasons. Language can surely be viewed from a purely scientific perspective. A lot of research has been done into phonetics, syntax, morphology, or a few thousand known languages. In order to master and teach a language at a professional level, you have to know how the system works at a profound level. Language acquisition and teaching methodologies have been long investigated by scholars as well. Educators have so many options available to them, and the choices they make have to be well informed. I had the option of either choosing a research area which would be related to linguistics or the one focusing on language education. Of course, I was aware of the possible benefits getting a PhD degree and being a published researcher would offer me, but I still wasn't very enthusiastic. I thought that writing research papers was tedious, monotonous and impersonal. Based on a few articles I had read, this type of work allowed no room for creativity whatsoever. According to a few scholars I met here in Russia, they seemed rather arrogant and pretentious too. Even if I decided to give in to this type of pressure and play by the rules, I wasn't quite sure yet what my exact research interests were. I was sure it had to be something I could fully commit to, just as I did to English around 10 years ago. Even after two years as a university teacher, I was still having doubts about my career in research. I wasn't even sure I would love to keep this job in the future. But I had been told time and time again that even if I decided to eventually quit my current job, having a PhD degree might come in handy anyway. While I was reflecting and looking for my topic, I would willingly dedicate a few years of my life to. My sister was already crashing it in research and had launched her own lab. It seemed intuitive for me to join and rely on her guidance in this field that still felt so unwelcoming and alien to me. The only issue was that the research she had been doing was quantitative, which means it involved working with numbers and statistics. I'm the type of person who freaks out at the sight of anything more than elaborate than a simple mathematical formula, you know. On the other hand, it was exciting to be involved in my sister's cutting-edge studies. In one, her team attempted to identify the connection between the psychological traits of individual authors and language features of their texts. For that, what is called a corpus, which means a body of structured textual data, was needed. I was given an opportunity to get involved into data collection. We had our participants, including my students at the time, do a series of psychological tests and write a few text samples. Well, but I couldn't come up to grips with data processing. 
I just couldn't bear the thought of having the living atoms of text being analyzed for consistent patterns of word engrams or sequences of words. Of course, I perfectly understood why computational linguistics dealing with language data using statistical methods was so popular. For example, it basically helped machine translation to emerge. But it was still heartbreaking for me as a writer to realize that the only way for a linguist to stay relevant was to master mathematical skills to conduct their research, even in linguistics. Another disappointing thing was the ideal outcome of quantitative studies was all about numbers that had to be made to look as impressive as possible. The resulting models also had to seem as accurate as possible. I was aware of the huge amount of effort made by my sister and her colleagues to perform those heartbreaking calculations, but I still wasn't sure I could be 100% in this. As part of my sister's research team, I was privileged to have visited a few domestic conferences first. As a teacher, I felt that presenting was like second nature to me. However, as those were not my solo project, I was afraid of being asked some purely technical questions regarding the way the calculations had been performed. Later on, I grew more confident about this part. But what I really loved was that I started well, I started attending international conferences because the atmosphere there was so much more relaxed than back in Russia. I was more than ready and willing to speak about anything, even the technical issues, as long as I could do it in English. Listening to other presentations, I was also thinking of different ideas for my big future solo project. My first international solo trip was to a conference in Brno, Czech Republic. The topic of my report was Russian Deception Bank, a corpus for annotated deception detection in text, describing a study of ways how to identify intentionally false information in text using a set of computational methods. That was actually in the domain of forensic linguistics, which is basically the use of linguistic knowledge in lingual investigations. It was a really cutting-edge study and an overwhelming one to present for someone like myself, but it, I didn't have to hide that I was doing that on behalf of the interdisciplinary team. I was becoming less harsh on myself for struggling with quantum methods as I met some young researchers who were also exploring different research areas looking for their solo projects while working on team projects run by more experienced colleagues. Meeting approachable scholars from across the world through some exciting networking events had changed my perspective on what these people were like. It was the first time I had realized that pursuing a career in research might open some exciting doors to international experiences. A new chapter in my research career started when I won the Fulbright Scholarship in 2017. My research program allowed me a lot of autonomy. I was able to collect my data and work with it at my own pace. This experience also enabled me to revisit my research methods and take time to reflect on my attitude to the whole field. My supervisor was head of the linguistics department and seemed really busy with other tasks. Overall, she didn't mind me going about my work as I pleased, as I said. I think I was just meant to be to learn how to be independent at different stages of my learning, teaching, and now research career. Later on, I found that was a huge bonus. The only tangible barrier was what is in the United States called 
IRB, Institutional Review Board, a special committee that is tasked with reviewing the research project involving human subjects. It was a while before I was officially authorized to go ahead with my data collection. After finally having my research proposal approved, I was able to get my hands dirty with real data. What I loved most about the whole data collection process was how it allowed me to meet professors and students alike in the process of recruiting new participants. Sometimes I would email professors from other universities in the New York area to expand my outreach, and yes, a lot of these emails went unanswered. So yes, not all researchers everywhere have are that friendly. Not only in Russia could they be not so friendly after all. But those people who did show interest were really friendly and offered me a few speaking opportunities in their institutions. I was also able to attend and participate in a few conferences at Montclair State, my host university, as well as a few other universities in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Louisiana. Being a Fulbrighter certainly gave me the leverage and confidence I needed to pursue a research project on my own. One thing I was absolutely sure about was that language, the major subject on linguistics, was something that interested people from diverse backgrounds. It was through questions and comments from these people, not essential linguists, that I was able to see my original research idea from a totally new perspective. But do we people in humanities have reasons to be worried about our future? Unfortunately, you don't normally get into humanities if financial well-being is your priority. This is why a lot of people who at least considered a career in non-technical fields were ridiculed at some point for being out of touch. It is a big fundamental existential choice that people like us take especially seriously. In other words, you have to learn to prioritize early in life without making allowances for how your values, money, work satisfaction, and others might shift at different stages of your life. Will ever have to adapt and adopt changes? The last few years have been transformational for a lot of industries. Technology has taken over our lives, so in order to stay relevant, we have to embrace it. To avoid being laughed at or simply making ourselves more marketable, we have to introduce some technical methods into our work. By our nature, we are individuals who are particularly sensitive and can thus be really resistant and reluctant to adapt. As a result, we find ourselves lamenting the past where people seem to care a little bit more about what we do. But will we succeed in changing the way humanities, linguistics included, are seen? Sadly, hardly any of us have been able to do that. It's no surprise that we ourselves question our own fields and jobs given all these brutal realities that we are dealing with. Think about all these town people and of course we think that probably these jobs are too boring, but at least they are much more well paid. In this growingly digitalized world, there is a threat of machine being trained to replace us. So where does that leave us people and in humanities? As much as the past and present has left us feel hopeless, we can see some people coming up with solutions. They are selling their products using technology created by some people and some of their clients are the same people with technological background. 
And the same is happening in research. We can see that some people are embracing their love for humanities and maybe their sensitivity and romanticism and implement it into the research. So yes, nothing is set in stone and nor are my research interests actually that have also been changing as well. And they have changed dramatically since I returned from the United States. But more on that on the later episodes. So in the next episode, let's talk about reading as a skill and how it can boost our writing and just our whole view of the world in our first or second languages. So thanks for listening. Bye.